Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you haven't left us just guessing or floundering in this world on our own, trying to work things out, but you've given us the Bible. And we pray, please, would you talk to us now? Would you speak to us by your spirit? For the glory of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Well, I wonder how good you are at waiting. How good are you at waiting? Maybe you've got lots of patience, maybe some of you not so much. But this time of year, we have lots of different ways of waiting. Maybe you've started your advent calendars. Maybe you have got a classic one, which is just cardboard that opens a little verse or thought in each day. Maybe you've gone the next level up and you've got a chocolate one. And you have a different chocolate and you open each door and there it is, the chocolate behind. But have you noticed how extravagant these advent calendars can get? Has anybody got something that isn't cardboard or chocolate? Does anybody just to see? No, oh, no adventurous people here. Well, let me tell you, it's too late now because they're probably all sold out. But you can get, you can get different cheeses. You can get a cheese advent calendar. I'm, I assume you keep it in the fridge, I'm not sure. You can get um, different drinks. You can get different toiletries. You can get Lego advent calendars. All these different ones are there. You can get ones with different stickers and football stickers. All of them are out there. And they, what are they saying? Well, they're different ways of waiting. Waiting for that day, waiting for the 25th of December. Here it comes, the day is coming. And so the period of Advent really is all about waiting. It's about the coming of Jesus, we know, but we're waiting for it. And so as we um, reflect on waiting this morning, we're going to look at somebody who had to wait his whole life for something amazing. And this is Simeon. There he is waiting for the promised king the promised messiah and he was waiting for the one to come and in this passage we get to see amazingly he held him in his arms so as we look at this passage together in luke chapter 2 have it open in front of you we'll walk through it and see there six things about jesus that should amaze us this morning six things about jesus and how this baby born in a manger isn't somebody we can ignore the first thing is this it tells us that we have A sympathetic saviour. A sympathetic saviour. Now when a baby was born into a Jewish family, there were a number of different laws that needed to be kept. The firstborn, as we see here, is to be consecrated. The one who was born first was to be taken to the temple and specially set aside for God. But another thing that needed to happen was that the the baby uh, born, after the baby was born, uh, the woman would need to go and make a sacrifice in the temple for her purity. So that's what Mary and Joseph were doing. They were going to the temple to make this sacrifice. But notice what we're told, how, uh, what kind of sacrifice they make. Uh, in verse uh, 24, uh, 23, we're told that every male-born open, uh, firstborn open the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, uh, what is said in the law of the Lord? A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So there they go, they offer these two pigeons as a sacrifice. Now, why do they offer pigeons or turtle doves? Well, if we go back to the Old Testament, we see there the reason that they gave these. Let me read from Leviticus 12, which tells us what the law of Israel is. When the days of our purifying are completed, they say, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance, a tent of meeting, a lamb, a year old for burnt offering. So that's what you should bring is a lamb and a pigeon and a turtle dove for a sin offering. Or it says this, um, the, this is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, 
Then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for the bird offering, one for the sin offering. So can you see, if you've got the money, if you've got the cash, you can take a lamb. But if you haven't got much money, there's an offering there, there's a way for you to make an offering, and that is to take two turtle doves. Now we might easily skip over that, but do you see what that is telling us? The family that Jesus was born into did not have much money. The family that he was born into wasn't wealthy. They would have struggled financially. They would have not, you know, they would have thought here, well, we have to go for the cheaper option because we just can't afford it. Now, when you stand back and think about this, isn't it amazing? Here is Jesus, the one who is the son of God, the eternal one, the alpha and the omega, the one who knows the beginning from the end, the one who could have chosen any family in the world to be born into, and he chooses this family. This family who didn't have much money. This family who couldn't afford the, the big option. And when you think of the other things that happened in Jesus' life as well, well, think of where he was born. He could have chosen to be born at any time, at any place. Was he born into the comfort of a palace? Was he born into the comfort of the rich and the famous? No, he was born to an unknown peasant teenager called Mary, who was terrified. The terrified teenager who everybody was gossiping about. He could have been born anywhere, into a comfy hotel, but they couldn't find that, could they? There was no room for them in the inn. So they ended up, uh, he ended up being born in this homeless shelter, in this animal feeding trough. And then what happened in the Christmas story? Remember, he fled to Egypt. He was a refugee running away from the danger. And as Jesus grew up, what happened? Well, we're told that he, was, he had no earthly riches. He was homeless. Jesus had nothing. He was the one who created the universe. He was the one who had all the riches of heaven, all the praise of angels. The angels were singing praise to this man, this, um, this uh, son of God. And then he becomes a man. And he becomes somebody who we'd walk past in the street and not even think twice about. Nothing. Uh, that would attract us to him, we're told. He chose a family of nobodies. He chose poverty. He became poor. He became humble. Do you see what that tells us about Jesus? Why did he do that? Why did he leave the riches of heaven? Well, 2 Corinthians 8 tells us, doesn't it? For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, he became poor for your sake, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus took our place so that we could take his place. We could have that place of honour. We could be forgiven. He came to rescue us. He came to save us. That's why he gave it all up. He, was so, he became so poor that we might become rich. Spiritually, he gave it all up. It doesn't come so that we might become um, physically rich. Our bank accounts don't suddenly become overflowing if you trust in Jesus. Not at all. But we can know the riches of heaven. Blessing. The blessing of God on our lives. Doesn't that touch on another truth as well as we think of that? Jesus knows what it's like to struggle. He knows what it's like to struggle financially. Maybe this winter you're looking at the bills and you're looking at what's ahead and you think, how am I going to afford this? How am I going to get through this? Jesus knows what it's like to struggle. He knows what it's like to be there. And as we look in Hebrews 4, it tells us he knows what it's like to be, go through every trial that we've been through and every temptation that we've been through. Jesus knows what it's like to, 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 to face the temptation, to greed, 
The temptation for idolatry. The temptation for self-righteousness. Jesus has been there. He's been through every temptation we have faced. And then we're told that Jesus faced those temptations and those struggles and he did it without sin. He never gave in. He never failed. Now maybe this morning, just to pause a moment and think, Jesus went through the struggles that we've been through. Jesus went through the temptations that we've been through. And yet he didn't give in. And maybe you think, well, if he didn't give in, he doesn't know what it's like to face the trials and the, the pull, the temptation to sin that I feel. But you realise the fact that he didn't give in shows us that he knows it more than we ever do. Imagine that there are four pieces of metal that go into a furnace. Three me- pieces of metal just burn up, they disappear. But one piece of metal survives. Which of those metals felt the full force, felt the full heat of that furnace? Well, the one that survived. You see, we give in to temptation way too early. Jesus faced it to the, to the full. So he knows what it's like to face temptation and not give in. See, Jesus knows what it's like to struggle, knows what it's like to worry, knows what it's like to feel concerned, knows what it's like to tempt it, be tempted to despair and give up. Jesus knows that. So this morning, the trials that you're going through, Jesus knows. He's been there. Jesus gets it. And that means that we can go to him. That means that when we talk to him, when we pour out our heart to him, we can almost hear Jesus say, I know. I know, I've been there. You notice, like, don't you, when you talk to somebody who's been in your situation, you think there's nobody else struggling like me, and then you meet someone, and you can just tell they've been there. It's such a comfort. And it draws you, it bounds you to them in a way that nothing else can Well, this morning, Jesus says, I've been there. Don't push him away in the trial, but let him draw close to you. We've got a sympathetic saviour. And that's what those two turtle doves show us there. He chose that for us. A sympathetic saviour. Secondly, we see that Jesus is the promised saviour. Look at verse 25. We're told about Simeon. Simeon was was a, a devout man. Uh, is righteous man waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is, he's waiting for the salvation of Israel, waiting for Israel to be uh, restored. And he knew that uh, God had made a promise, that there was a big story uh, going on and that Simeon was part of. He knew, back in Genesis, he would have known that that there in Genesis 3, when the world uh, started to fall apart in the fall, we see there that there was a promise made. Jesus promises to Eve, from you will come someone who's going to crush the serpent, who's going to destroy Satan. The serpent crusher has come in, Eve, and it's going to be from, from your descendant. And you follow the story through. You follow it through to, to through Noah's line, Abraham's line. You meet them all through Joseph, and you see the story of Joseph and Judah's line there. You see the story goes bigger, and you see the pictures of how God's going to save. We hear he's going to be a king, and this king is going to come. And the king is going to come to be the serpent crusher, but as well to, to fix this brokenness that's all around us. The story unfolds and there's one coming, there's one coming. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And Simeon gets this promise. The one you're waiting for, the king, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. That's what those words mean, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the king. Look what we're told in verse 26. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon, you're going to see the Messiah. Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. 
So Simeon here, as we see in a moment, as he, as he picks up this baby, he's been promised you're going to see him. But look what that tells us about Jesus. Jesus born in Bethlehem was not, not just some kind of nice fairy story. It wasn't just some nice kind of interesting bit of history that happened. There's this man called Jesus. Uh, this baby called Jesus was born at a real time. Um, and, and then he grew up and he really lived and, and all that. It's not just an interesting person in history. Jesus was the one who was the promised one. The one who was part of God's plan. He was the one who every part of history was driving towards. So as I said, Jesus, he was and is the serpent crusher promised in Genesis 3. He is the promised one, the one who would bring blessings to all nations from Abraham in Genesis 12. He is the lion of Judah in Genesis 49. He is the Passover lamb that we see pictured in the Exodus. He is the greatest son of David promised in 1 Samuel. He is the one born of a virgin in Isaiah 7. He is the one we read in, in Isaiah 9 who would bring light into the darkness. And he is the one who is the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. This is Jesus. He's the one promised to be born in Bethlehem that we see in Micah. See, Jesus isn't just somebody who turned up in an interesting part of history. He is what history is all about. He's the one that history is driving towards. So when we look at the baby born in Bethlehem, it is a fresh reminder to us of this. God made a promise and he kept his promise. And he's made more promises that Jesus will return and he will keep that promises. So as we look at the baby, all of God's promises can be trusted. They are all yes and amen in Christ. Now this morning, do you need to be reminded of that? What promises are there of God that maybe you're starting to doubt? What promises are there of God that in your life don't feel real at the moment? Are you in a situation that looks so dark and bleak, you can't see any good coming from it? Maybe this morning we need to hear, look at that baby and say, God keeps his promises. Even though it doesn't feel like it, this will work together for good for those who love Christ. Maybe you feel distant from God and it feels like he is far away. Hear the promise of God that says, I will never leave you. I am with you. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't know it and, and experience that, I am with you. Maybe it feels like God has given up on you. You look at your Christian walk and it feels like, where am I going? If God has begun a good work in you, he will bring it through to completion. He won't uh, leave you on your own. Maybe you feel condemned this morning. Maybe you look at the failure in your life and the ways in which you have um, let others down. We hear those words in Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you are feeling anxious. Maybe you are worried about all kinds of things and these, these worries and these cares just swirling around your mind. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. The baby in the manger makes sure all these promises and shows us that God keeps his promises. He doesn't break a promise. Is there someone here in this world, we look around and there's somebody and we can't trust people, can we? People let us down all the time. But in a world of broken promises, the baby in the manger shows us that God will never break a promise. Let's hold on to that today because this is the promised saviour. Maybe today you're not a Christian and you are 
you just feel like you're floundering in this world. Everything seems to be falling apart and everything's all over the place and you don't know where to trust or who to trust or where to look or where to turn. Please look to God this morning. Look to Jesus and he will never let you down. Even though everyone in this world might, he won't. So he's our promised saviour. So he's a sympathetic saviour. He's our promised saviour. Also, he is our saving saviour. What do I mean by that? Well, look at this. He's our saving saviour because Simeon has been waiting for years. He's been told, you will not die, Simeon, until you see the Christ, the promised saviour. And I love verse um, 27 and 28. He came in the spirit into the temple. He probably went every day, regularly there. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Can you imagine that? Imagine that moment. There probably were loads of other babies around having the same, making the same sacrifices there that Mary and Joseph were making. But Simeon, helped by the Spirit of God, sees this baby and he picks him up and he holds him in his arms and he says, this is it. This is the moment. I'm looking at salvation. The hope of the world is in my arms. I can now depart in peace. This is it. Just imagine that moment because he looks down at this baby and says, verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation comes wrapped in swaddling cloths. Isn't it amazing to think? Jesus is the saviour. Now, before moving on, do we realise that in this world, we need a saviour? We do, don't we? We need a saviour desperately. We look at the mess that is all around us. And in your life at the moment, you have a saviour. Maybe you have different saviours. Where do you turn when things are rough and hard? Where do you turn for comfort? Where do you turn to get you through things when it's hard? Because so often we can turn to places that we think are going to help us, but they let us down, don't they? We might turn to entertainment. We might turn to, to accumulating things and buying things. We might turn to family. We might just think our circ- if our circumstances were different, that would save me. But actually, whatever our circumstances, whatever we turn to, they become poor saviours because they let us down. But here, Simeon holds in his arms the one who will never let us down. The saviour of the world, Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in him. And it is great news today that salvation is found in Jesus. Do you see what this means? It means that salvation isn't what we do. Salvation isn't, right, you need to do these religious activities now. And then, if you do enough, maybe... God will save you. Maybe you'll be good enough for him. No. Salvation comes in a gift in this person, in Jesus Christ. So, so often we think we can save ourselves, don't we? We might not say it like that, but we think, I'm going to get myself out of this mess. This week is going to be different. You know, I'm going to labour. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to do this. And we think we can. No, salvation isn't found in ourselves. Salvation is found in Jesus. And Simeon saw it. My eyes have seen your salvation. It's not through our works. It's not through our rituals, but in a person. Now, have you lost sight of that today? Have you been trying to earn your salvation? Have you been hoping and thinking, I need to do more 
for God to love me? Are you thinking that I've had a bad week, so God doesn't love me as much today as he did when I had a good week? You see what we've slipped into in those moments? We're doing it by works and not by trusting in Jesus. Maybe this morning you are just longing to be saved. You know you need help. How can you be saved? Well, the answer is in Jesus. Remember what Matthew 1.21 tells us. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. Turn to him. Salvation found in him. Now remember, the only way that Simeon knows that this is the saviour isn't because, you know, it wasn't because he thought, oh, I I think I've seen your picture on my Christmas card. He didn't think, oh, hang on, you. No, he didn't know that. He didn't know what Mary and Joseph, he didn't know those things. There was, as I said, there would have been other babies there. What happened? The Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit helped him. The only way that we can know and trust in Jesus is if God, by his Spirit, helps us. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I'd like to believe. I really would. I think all of this is true, but I just, there's something stopping me. I, I can't quite do it. I, today, ask God to help you see. Pray that the Holy Spirit would help you to trust, because only he can do it. No words from, from the frontier, no words from the screen can do that. Only God can do that in your heart. So pray to him, God, would you help me to trust? And maybe even now he's given you that sight to see, I need to trust in Jesus. And if there is you, Please don't put it off. Tell someone. Chat to me after. Because it is so great. It's great news that you don't want to keep to yourself that God has helped you to trust in Jesus. And so we need to um, help and build up one another. So please do not keep that to yourself. Tell someone if that is you this morning. Ask God to open your eyes and for the Holy Spirit to help you to see who Jesus is. So he's a sympathetic saviour. He gets it. He is a promised saviour. He is a saving saviour. But also he's a welcoming saviour. Look at this, verse 32. When, when um, Simeon picks up this baby, he says, You're letting me depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. In 31 and 32, you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for the glory of your people Israel. This is a saviour born. And this is a saviour who is born for all not just the jewish nation but for gentiles non-jews as well he is the one who's come to save everyone he's the one who's come to come for everyone so many people would have lost sight of this because they thought the messiah was just for the jews just coming to save and rescue them but no we see here that actually jesus is for more and not just here but throughout the bible jesus came for jews and gentiles uh, for all people for male and female for Jews and Greeks. All people are welcome and invited. And Jesus has come to say, look, I've come for all. That's what the message of the angels was to the shepherds, isn't it? Here is good news for all the people. The Christ has been born, a saviour has been born in Bethlehem. So this morning, if you're thinking, Jesus coming in the manger isn't for me. Jesus' salvation, Jesus coming, and I'm too bad. I've done too many bad things. If you, if you are thinking this morning, not with what I've done, not with my background, notice why Jesus came. It's for everybody. And there has never been a time, ever, where Jesus has turned someone away. Never. If you come to him today, he won't turn you away. Whatever you've done, whatever your background, turn to Jesus. And if you're a Christian here today, have you written someone off? Have you thought in your mind, 
Maybe someone in your family, on your street, on your work, and you thought they will never trust in Jesus. And you've just kind of written them off in your mind. Now see, this is saying, no, this is for all people. Keep praying for them. Maybe there's people in this town who think, well, they can never be saved. We, we are not to judge. We need to sow the seed and pray that God will save. Pray now. Think in your mind now of the person you think least likely to be a Christian or to become a Christian. Pray for them. Pray that they would be saved. I, I told you before, I remember when I thought that, when somebody challenged me that when I was about 16, there was somebody in my, in my mind um, in school, one of my friends, I thought, well, he'll never trust in Jesus. But I kept praying for him. And he's a pastor of a church now, and he's been here, he's preached here. You know, you just never know. Think of the person you think least likely. Invite them this Christmas to come to the carol service. Pray that God would open their eyes. Let's not restrict who God will save and who God um, can work in, because we've got a welcoming Saviour. He's sympathetic, he's promised, he's saving, he's welcoming. But also, fifthly, he's divisive. A divisive saviour. Before this point, it's all very nice. Isn't it? Oh, this is great. You know, nice Christmas message. But look at what we're told. Um, look, uh, this baby is amazing. And they, they marvelled, verse 33, at what was said, his father and mother. But then Simeon carries on. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary. He turns to Mary and he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. Now what's he saying? It's a sign that people will come and go. People will um, rise and fall. This child will polarise people. This child will divide people. Uh, lots will oppose him. Now here's the saviour. The promised one. The messiah. The one they've been waiting for. The serpent crusher. Abraham's greater son. The greater David. He has come. He is here. You'd have thought, well surely they'll welcome him with open arms. He's born in Bethlehem, just like he's promised. Born to a virgin. This is it. This is going to happen, isn't it? But no. People rejected him. People didn't want him. So you look at John 3, 19, and it says, The light came into the world, but the people love the darkness, rather than the light, because their deeds are evil. Like insects, when you pull up that stone and they scurry away, when people are exposed to the light, we just want to flee. And we saw this in Jesus' life, didn't we? He was despised and rejected, ignored and hated. People um, fled from him. Even his own family turned away from him and rejected him. And we still see that today, don't we? As the message of Jesus is shared and preached, people just don't want to know. So often people just say, no, I don't want it. Think of the parable of the sower that Jesus said. You know, there's four different soils that the seed lands on. And only one really bears fruit. We shouldn't be surprised at this response to Jesus. Romans 1 tells us that people have suppressed the knowledge of God. You know when you try and put like a beach ball under the sea or under the, in a swimming pool, it just keeps popping up? Well, people suppress the knowledge of God. They've pushed it down, but it will show up. People know that God is real and true. Deep down, they do but they just push it down. Isn't it amazing how angry people can get about a God they don't believe in? Isn't it amazing? You don't, I thought you don't believe in God. Why are you getting so angry? It's because we don't want to know. We don't want it to be true. There's someone else we're answerable to. Look at verse 35. He says, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. We don't like the thought of somebody else knowing us through and through, do we? 
somebody who knows who we really are and what we're really like and our real motives, our real heart. That scares us and so it is easy to think, well, he doesn't exist. But Jesus came and he will divide. He will divide opinion. Isn't it amazing to think that the God who knows our hearts this morning is the one, still the one who says, I know you and I'm still saying, come to me. I still want to forgive you. Maybe you've suppressed the knowledge of God. And you said, I don't want to believe because of this reason or this reason, this reason. But you know, you just can't escape. He's kind of got you backed into a corner. And he knows you. He knows everything you've done. And he still is saying to you this morning, not the person next to you, although he's saying it to them as well, but to you, come. Don't put this off anymore. Trust in me. So when we realise that Jesus is going to divide, let's not be surprised when people say no. Let's not be surprised when people um, turn away and don't want to know. But let's keep on praying. Let's keep on sowing the seed and that people would turn to Jesus and pray that they would. This is a sympathetic saviour, a promised saviour, a saving saviour, a welcoming saviour, a divisive saviour. And the last thing is we have a suffering saviour. There's a verse we didn't read in verse 35. I just now, Simeon turns to Mary and he says, Jesus, your son is going to divide people, but also a sword will pierce through your own soul. You're going to watch your son, the one who you bring up, the one who you love dearly. He is going to be broken. He's going to be humiliated. He's going to be that suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He's going to be the one who will die before your eyes. Be mocked, humiliated. He's going to, it's going to pierce your heart, Mary. Why does Simeon, with baby in arms, knowing this baby will save, then talk about his death? That's because this is why he's salvation, isn't it? This is why Jesus is our saviour. In John's Gospel, when you read through it, you see that we talk about the, it talks about the hour of Jesus. Jesus says, my hour has not yet come to Mary in, um, in the wedding at Cana. No, 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 my hour has not yet come. He's thinking about an hour, the, the reason he's come. And at the end of the Gospel, when he'd come to his time to die, we're told then when the hour had come. Why did Jesus, why was he born? He was born to die. He was born um, to go on the cross. So the death of Jesus wasn't unexpected or tr- uh, in um, a, a, and kind of a tragic th- um, set of circumstances in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, this was planned. He came to die. And right from the start, Mary is told, it's going to pierce your heart, Mary. It's going to hurt. She's going to see him broken. Can you imagine that? As a parent, imagine that. But Jesus knew. And Jesus' love took him to the cross. It gives us a glimpse of what the father went through as well, isn't it? The father looking at his beloved son. There on the cross, he was broken. There on the cross, he was punished in our place so that we could be forgiven. You know, you are so dearly loved by God this morning that he sent his precious son to die on that cross so that you could be forgiven. That's how loved you are. Mary's heart was going to be broken. The heart of the father was broken. Because he loves us so much. Jesus himself broken on that cross so that we could be saved.
taking the punishment we deserve for our rebellion, for us to be forgiven and accepted. Here's a saviour worth celebrating. Here's one we can rejoice in today. I pray that as we uh, spend this time of waiting, just as Simeon waited, we, as we wait for Christmas, and as we wait beyond that to the second advent to Jesus returning, we will be amazed at this sympathetic saviour who says, I know. This promised saviour who says, I will not let you down. This saving saviour who, who um, sums up that we can be saved not by works, but by what he has done. This welcoming saviour whose arms are open wide for all. This divisive saviour who people will reject. And this suffering saviour who died for us. Let's praise our saviour together. We're going to sing uh, in a moment uh, about the waiting when we're waiting. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. But before we do that, we're going to have a few moments just in silence, just to reflect uh, on what we've heard uh, before uh, we sing together. So let's have a few moments' reflection. <laughs>